Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Well, the Lord allow me tonight, I want to minister on the second part of a message that I started a couple weeks ago on the thought of don't forget the cheese. Now, I didn't get completely finished with that message, and I don't know that I would necessarily be completed with that again. But I will tell you that God has a word for us. And I know that he is marinating a word. The Bible teaches us that the word never returns void. How many of you need a word from the Lord tonight? You didn't just come here just because you wanted to make sure you beat someone else to the punch to reserve their seat. (laughs) You came here because you wanted to make sure that you received something from the Lord, but you also were a worshiper. See, I grew up in the old time way. My mom and daddy pastored a church and my dad still pastors a church. I grew up where church was not optional. You were there every time the doors were open. And we just went on to church and we praised. Now I realize not everybody was raised like me. Some people go to church once a month, they really think that's, that's, that's just been all they've ever known. And I'm not knocking that, but I want you to know there's more. There's three amens that said amen to that. There's more. Uh, I, I didn't grow up as a casual Christian. I wasn't a creaster. That means you're a Christmas and Easter Christian. You show up on those days. I grew up going to church every week. Smile at me now. Come on. I grew up going... And we didn't have kids' church. We, stayed, we played in the pews. And uh, we saw people buck shouting and run the aisles and walk in the tops of pews and all of that. And uh, I saw the power of God in display. I saw people healed. I saw blinded eyes open in those meetings. And I'm glad that my mom and daddy exposed me to that because they kept me from a lot of things. You know, I don't think we got it right all the time. In fact, I think my parents' generation and how they got saved. Because when my daddy and mom got saved, they got saved out of sin. My dad was a hellion. He was a drinker. He'd been in jail. And he was, you know, doing his thing. When he gave his life to Jesus, Jesus pulled him out of hell. Now, they were saved out of sin, where my sister and I were saved from sin. What that means is we didn't have the same exposure of the world. We were raised in a Christian environment, yet we still needed a Savior. So I wasn't raised around nastiness and vulgarity and sin in our home. Mom and Daddy would lay hands on us and cast every devil in hell off of us. They'd take a belt to us and then pray for us. Amen. I was raised in that environment and we would go to church all the time. And looking back, there were times that I would say, it's just too much. I don't know why they making us go to church all this time and doing all this. Now I look back, I don't have any regrets because the former generation may not have got it all right, but they got something right. Because they live by faith. And I'm praying that God will help Bethel Family Worship Center raise an army of people who understand the value and the importance of being in the house of God. I know that they're saying that we're going to enter into a new normal. And I know many of us are wondering what that new normal is going to look like. But I want you to understand there are some things in my wheelhouse that have never changed. My principles don't change. My priorities don't change. Methods are many, principles are few. Methods change, but principles never do. And what has kept me, even in a time like this, is good teaching. Look at your neighbor and tell them good teaching will keep you. And and so if you've not had good teaching, you've got good teaching now. And it may hit you where you live. It may offend you. It may make you upset. You may say, well, pastor's all up in my business. Good, it's working. (laughs) We need somebody to get up in our, what they say, business. We need somebody 
to get in our business. Look at somebody and say, I'm all up in your business tonight. And if that made you uncomfortable, good, it's working. Say good, it's working. <laughs> I preached a couple weeks ago. We've been in a series called T3. And tonight I want to speak on the thought as I serve my way into everything I have. This is my testimony because this is, this is my heart. I served my way into everything I have. I'm not up here to brag. I just want you to understand there are certain principles that will open doors for you. There's a lifestyle of living that'll open a door for you. Amen? And I want to talk a little bit about this T3 life, but I want to give you the definition of a stewardship again. I've been trying to set the atmosphere with this. That stewardship is the conducting, the supervising, or the managing of something. Everything that you have, you are called a steward of. God didn't just give you breath for you to do what you want with it. He is give you a responsibility to steward what, we, what you have. If God, you prayed in a, let's say you prayed for a vehicle, and you were begging God, and you were asking God to say, Oh, Lord, I need a car. You know I got to have me a car. And God gave you a car. Now that he has given you this, you are a steward of what he has provided. So that means you cannot neglect getting the oil changed on the thing he gave you. You can't just run it with no gasoline in it. You have a responsibility to steward it. So if it's a car, if it's a marriage, uh-oh, if it's a home, if it's a child, you have a responsibility to steward it. If you've been given an opportunity, a position, a title, a job, you have a responsibility to steward it. So a steward is someone that conducts, supervises, or manages something. So we're talking about living the T3 life. Everybody say T3. T3 means time, talent, and treasure. For me to be what God wants me to be, he's going to call me to the T3 life. This affects my private life, my personal life, my professional life, my public life, every area of my life. Because I don't serve God on Sunday only and then turn into a different person on Monday. I'm the same on Sunday as I am on Monday. Smile at somebody and say, God sees everything. I have to be the same at work, the same at home, the same on the road, the same at, uh, in the neighborhood. I got to be the same on Friday night as I am on Sunday. A T3 Christian that is stewarding my time, my talent, and my treasure. God wants it all. He wants me to steward it. So it's been my objective to talk about using your time, your talent, and treasure and recently I shared with you in the message that David was the cheese carrier that was sent by his father Jesse down to the battle to see how things were going, to check on the brothers that were there, three of them were mentioned, and also to give gifts to them and groceries, and then also to provide cheese for the captains and to make sure that he delivered them on his father's behalf. Oftentimes God will have you do something someone else has instructed you to do just to see how you will handle that. Because if you can handle what someone else has asked you to do and do it well, then you will be entrusted with your own. If you can't help someone else's ministry, how will you ever have your own ministry? If you can't help someone else's gift, how will you ever see your gift come to pass? He was instructed by his father to carry the groceries. And I shared with you that the blessing is in the bushel, not in the battle. Be ever before David got to the battle, he had to carry the bushel. I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want to read again out of this passage. But tonight I'm going to give you four phases of David's life that I really believe is going to help you. In verse 13 of chapter 17, the Bible tells us the story again. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the name of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him, Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. We understand that the three oldest boys went to follow the, the, the king Saul. The battle was raging. 
They were at war with their age-old enemy, the Philistines. How many know there's always seemed like the same mess you got to deal with sometimes? Age-old stuff. Here it comes again. Same old spirit. I've seen people who God was trying to heal and God trying to deliver them and he'll allow a situation in their life and they don't get victory so they run into another church or they run into another marriage or they run into another this or they run to another that and it isn't long to the same spirit catches up with them again. If you don't deal with it at some point in your life, it will follow you everywhere you go. That was a word for somebody. It'll follow you to the next place. You gotta deal with you. The problem's not our spouse. The problem's not our boss. The problem's not our pastor. The problem is not the person on the row next to you. The problem, if you look in the mirror, is probably you. And I believe that God wants us to do better and every one of us can do better than what we're doing right now. If you believe it, elbow somebody and say, Lucille, that was for you. The three went down to the battle. Verse 14, David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. But David, verse 15, went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He went back to work, did what his daddy asked him to do because he had chores to do. Verse 16, and the Philistine, we know by the name of Goliath, drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about what 40 means and how many times that 40 often speaks of judgment. It often speaks of testing, probation or trial. We understand that, that Jesus was in the, uh, he fasted and prayed 40 days and 40 nights. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness tending the flock. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 years. The Israelite spies went out for 40 days to spy out Canaan. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, we understand that there is 40 days from the time of Jesus' resurrection to his ascension, and then 10 days after that, 50 pente was the pouring out of Pentecost. So we understand that 40 is significant in the Bible, in biblical numerology. But 40 days is a long time to be dealing with the same old enemy. And the Bible said that Goliath got up every day in the valley and shook his bony finger and his bad breath at the children of Israel and challenged them and said, bring me somebody worthy to fight me. He got up every day, 40 days. How many know if you were dealing with the same old nasty issue, for every day, for 40 days. How many would wear thin with that? How many would be say, I put a fork in me, I'm done. I just don't have the energy left. I don't wanna face this anymore. In fact, let's go ahead and put our house on the market because these neighbors for 40 days. Morning to evening, they had to deal with his threats. And now we read in verse 17 that Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah or a bushel of this parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren. Carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how, they, how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Oftentimes in, in, the, in this Old Testament passage, if you, when, that, when they would say take their pledge, they would say like, bring me something back that proves to me that they're alive. Bring me back a fingernail bring me back a piece of their hair, something they carry in their pocket so that I know they're still alive. That's what Jesse was saying. I haven't seen my boys. It's been a long battle. 40 days has passed. I'd like somebody to, uh, somebody call down there, text somebody and see if they can bring me back a report. And David was the texter. He was sent down to bring a gift and take a pledge. But when David gets there and he, brings to his brother the corn and the bread. I like to say he brought him cornbread. <laughs> I'm hungry. And then he brought the captains the cheese. So he brought different things to different people based on what his father had instructed him to do. There will come a time that God will give you an instruction, a responsibility to see if you can be trusted with that. Will you do it with 100%? Will you do it with excellence? Because if you can do it here, you'll be able to do it over here. But if you can't do it here, you'll be hard pressed to fulfill it over here. And a lot of people have been given an assignment and they're not doing what God 
has asked them to do it. Maybe they're doing it in part, or maybe they're doing it when they get around to it, or maybe they get it when they had a prayer through, breakthrough in their, in their spirit, and then they said, Lord, I'm gonna make it better, I'm gonna do better. But until you get it right here, there is no over here. You have to do it here first. If you can't do it right here, you won't be over there. You can force it to happen, but what you get over there will be a repeat over here and it won't be long till you'll lose your vigor again. The brothers were happy to receive the food. David was happy to deliver it. He was being obedient to his daddy. The captains were glad to get the cheese. It had been 40 days since anybody brought us any cheese. But now verse 19 Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Yes, that same old enemy. Now we fast track to verse 40 because by the time you get to verse 40, David has already made this big declaration. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine thinking he can defy the armies of the living God? Now historians say that David at this age was probably somewhere around 17. That here he is out there talking big with his chest all puffed up. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? His brothers who were tired. People who are tired will sometimes resent your level of energy. Because if the things that you've been asking God for and have maintained your zeal for, if all of that comes to pass and all of that energy serves to be true, then all of these people over here who've been mullagrubbing and barely getting by and tiptoeing on the promise instead of standing on the premise are looking at you like, I don't think it's going to happen. But if you succeed, all their excuses suddenly hold no water because you are now walking in the succession of God. You're not trying to disrespect nobody. You're just walking into your destiny. Now, obviously, there is protocol to everything. Jesse just sent his son. David didn't went. David was sent. You don't do things sideways and in secret and then think God's going to bless it. Mm, I felt that. So by the time he gets to verse 40, he has already challenged Goliath. He's been rebuked by his brothers by the people who are tired. And David says, I'm, I'm gonna take this dude out. And Saul finally says, okay, go ahead. You know the story. By God, time he gets to verse 40, he takes his staff and five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, and even in a script. And in his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. And I told you last time that the staff was that shepherd's staff that he had become very, very skilled with. He was like a ninja with that staff. He could twirl it. He could, he, could, he, could, he could just knock the devil's front tooth out. He was just that gifted with that staff. It became an essential part of his lifestyle to have the staff with him. He would lean on that staff. He would come to a place where it would be a weapon for him. It would be a strength to him. And then he reached down and pulled out five smooth stones and put them in his shepherd's bag that he carried often, even the script often that he would carry in his bag with where his money was kept. That's because the stones were as valuable as the money that he carried upon him as well. It would be a tool loosed out of his hand. And then he carried his trusty sling, that weapon of defense, when he would get a good shot in. So he had these things in his life. He already had the things that, that he would have been entrusted with. You see, often when God is preparing you to be a T3 person, a T3 leader, he is gonna use the stuff that was deposited in you when you were just a child. So you don't understand why they had you working out in the garage, teaching you how to change oil, and doing all kinds of stuff like that. You didn't realize that years later the church bus would need repair and somebody like you would come along and say, I have, I have a, a, an experience in knowing how to fix that. You see what I'm saying? You will use a tool, you'll use something that was put in you to know how to minister and how to use it. So often when God prepares you for your destiny, he's adding line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little of everything that you have learned and He's taking it with you and molding it and modifying it so that when you deliver the punch, it knocks the devil out. Come on, somebody. 
But David wasn't sent to fight. He was sent to serve. And I shared with you that often before you're called to fight, you first are called to serve. If you can serve someone else's dream, your dream will come to pass. You don't believe me? Ask Joseph. He served everyone else's dream. And the last person he helped wasn't even a believer, but a pagan, Pharaoh, and his dream still came to pass. If you can help someone else's dream come to pass, your dream will come to pass. Now, I want you to understand something today, and I made this clear last week, that I served my way into everything that I have. And I gave you an example of the different ministers and pastors and employers that I helped. One that I did not mention was a lady by the name of Debbie. She was the bank manager in the bank that I worked for. And I remember that Debbie had set a goal for all of us that were working at the bank. I was a teller and I worked the line. And she would say, Russell, I'm gonna put you over all the supplies. She said, if you will do this very well and, and make sure that we don't overspend on paper clips <laughs> and overspend on eight by 11 paper, reams of paper, or overspend by ink pens, rubber bands, and money straps, and coin rolls. If you will just do all you can and, and, and make sure we don't overspend if you see, on envelopes and, and all them little lollipops you give away and them doggy treats in the drive through window. If you will not overspend, when we get to the end of the year, we will have a surplus and from that, you'll get a bonus. Well, I took that serious. And she believed in me and I got up underneath her leadership and she in fact was one of the best managers and leaders that I ever worked for. She, uh, she helped me to achieve my goal and she encouraged me to achieve my goal and then she had to correct me <laughs> when I didn't do it exactly right. But at the end of the year, not only did I get a bonus, I got a promotion and was put in management training at her recommendation. I'm telling you that if you will help someone else's dream come to pass, your dream can come to pass. That's a good place to say amen. Everything that I have, I have served my way into. My spiritual fathers, my spiritual leaders who gave me opportunity. Doors opened up to me. I'll never forget when Pastor Beverly and I were voted in as the youth directors for the state of Indiana. And we were serving as local youth pastors. They entrusted us and voted us to be a youth director over the whole state and all these churches and, and to promote youth camps and do all these things. And we did that for years. But I'll never forget the night that they voted us in or the day they voted us in. My pastor, Pastor Hill, was in the middle of a revival up in northern Indiana. And he looked over at me and said, this day has gone long and I'm scheduled to preach tonight, but I'm going to send you in my place. I had no message prepared. I was green as green could be. I didn't know what, how they would receive me. I didn't know where I was going. It was before GPS. It was before cell phones. We just had somebody write down directions on a notebook sheet of paper. And we got in the car and we went all the way up to this church in Fair, Indiana, way out in the country, me and Beverly. We walked into this church and the church had the same carpet as my mom and dad's house had in Akron, Ohio. And I thought, oh my goodness, they got the same carpet. When I got up onto the platform where I was supposed to speak, they had a Radio Shack mic that was real rusty and they had a prongs coming out of it. And I remember getting up that night, I was so nervous and I was there on assignment for, uh, uh, for my pastor. Beverly and I sang, we, we just did our very best. I got up to preach and I got in a big way of preaching and the prongs from the microphone jabbed me in the, in, the, in the lips and I was bleeding the whole time I was preaching in front of those folks. And the whole time I got a napkin here and I'm trying to preach and it is a mess. But I did what my spiritual father asked me to do. Can you be trusted with the small thing? Can you be punctual 
Can you be on time? Can you do it with all you have? Come on, somebody. I want to talk tonight about David, who was a man after God's own heart, and I want to reveal four stages very quickly that David faced in his life. And the first stage that I want you to write down is the shepherd stage. When Jesse said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and beholdeth he keepeth the sheep. He was in the shepherd stage of his life. The stage that required him to do what he was told to do. He didn't have the luxury of going to lunch when he wanted to go to lunch. He had to go to lunch when he was told to go to lunch. Who is real quiet in here now? He didn't have the luxury of taking PTO time. He didn't have the luxury of calling in sick and then posting that he was at King's Island that day. Because in the shepherd stage, you are just doing what you were told to do. Mm -hmm. And Jesse said to Samuel, there remaineth yet one. And where he is, is in the sheepfold. He's a shepherd. I put him out there. Oh, hallelujah. In the stage of David's life, he had a hurdle that he had to learn to overcome. And this is the hurdle you overcome when you're in the shepherd stage. It's the hurdle called irrelevance. It seemed so unimportant. He's isolated from everybody else. In fact, nobody bothered to call him when there was a big party going on. He was left out, isolated. For God was developing him in his time of isolation. If, he will, if we will be faithful to God, God will promote us. But we must be faithful to him when he isolates us. And I share this, and I speak this prophetically through whoever, that there are times that God has to isolate you. He has to separate you from the noise, to separate you from the crowd, to separate you from the people of well-wishing to separate you from people who are distractions to you. And it's almost like a vessel of wine in the Old Testament where they would take a wine skin and they would put new wine in their wine skin and then they took it down into the dark, dingy basement and they left it there so that it could go through a process. And in the process, it was being fermented. And I can't help but think that there were times that the old wine skin was in the basement and maybe there was a little window, a little peephole and out of that window he could see people running by and playing in the street and laughing and carrying on and having a great time but here I am isolated and I'm stuck in the basement I don't know why God's doing this to me I don't know why I can't have friends and I can't have the buddies and I can't go to the parties and I can't do what everyone else is doing I want you to know there are times that God has to isolate you and put you in the basement because he's preparing you to put you on on the king's table. He's getting you to a place where you will be fermented enough, where you will be palatable in the mouth of the drinker. Can I get an amen from somebody? God wants you to be tasty. And in order for you to get tasty, you gotta go down into the cellar and you gotta stay there. And when you listen to the sounds of everybody else and everybody's going to the parties and everybody's going, there are some places I cannot go because the anointing on my life is too valuable. God is to isolate me and you will have to get over the hurdle of irrelevance. And the lesson that you learn when you're in the shepherd stage is you have to learn to love the sheep and how to be faithful. <laughs> they got me back here in this nursery working with these kids. They know I don't even like kids. <laughs> You may not, but don't ever let us hear about it. Because if you're in the shepherd stage, that's where God's teaching you how to love the sheep. It's so quiet. Pastor, I just want a microphone and so I can sing. I don't want to have any contact with anybody. I'm not a people person. <laughs> well, if you're going to be in the ministry, if you're, going to, if you're going to be a breather, you're going to have to learn to work with people. He had to learn in the shepherd stage how to love the sheep and how to be faithful 
Because when Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah went on down to the battle where it was really spotlightish and their name would be in the National Enquirer, he had to go back to the shepherd field. There was nobody in the media following him. I am so thankful. In my mom and daddy's little church, my wife's parents pastored. Every Saturday, my wife would go down to the community center and set up chairs for the congregation for the next day. Her daddy would say, Beverly, let's go. They were renting out the community center so they could have church. They didn't own a building. Had to set up every weekend. And there she was, a little girl, setting up chairs. That's the shepherd's stage where you learn to love and you learn to be faithful. And I'm going to thank God because I know there's a lot of folk in this place and watching that live in that shepherd stage and you've learned how to love people and how to be faithful. Second stage that David went into was the servant stage. The Bible teaches us his lesson in servanthood when the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17 through 18, there, there was a time that King Saul needed someone to play skillful as a minstrel. And the Bible says in verse 17 of this chapter that Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. And then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning, playing, and a mighty, valiant man, a man of war and prudent in matter and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. What a resume for someone else to speak of these things of you. I would ask tonight, can someone speak these things of you? Can they speak them of me? I hope so. I hope so. But somebody spoke up and said, oh, let me tell you about Jesse. Jesse's son, David, he's a mighty man. He play, he's a cunning player, <laughs> a valiant man, a man of war. He's prudent in matter, a comely person. He's easy to be, along, to be with. He's not extra. He's not high maintenance. You don't have to worry about offending him. You have to watch your P's and Q's. You all know there are some people in your life, they extra. They require extra, extra. Read all about it. But they just described David and said, look at this guy. I mean, I think to me that's a great resume. He had to learn in the shepherd stage, how to be faithful and how to love. But in the servant stage, his hurdle was this, insignificance. What does it mean when you have to serve someone else who's successful, someone else who gets the credit, and you're the one working harder than anyone else behind the scenes, and nobody acknowledges you? You were the one that came up with the idea for the flyer. You were the one that set up the chairs and the table. You were the one that cooked the roast beef. Come on. You were the one that was out there early. You were the one that cut the grass. You were the one that made everything look great. And someone else just swooped in and took all the credit. But because you are in a place of service, and God can trust you with it. See, you have to know whatever's in you is coming out of you. I never know what a person will do or say until I put a microphone in their hand. And whatever's in them is coming out of them. I remember years ago when God brought Brother Penny to us. And Brother Penny, I hadn't been able to take a vacation with my family because we had no one to stand in the pulpit at that time. And Brother Penny came to me, a seasoned man who pastored a church. He said, I want you to know, Pastor, I got your back and I'm holding your hands up. And I won't pull any rabbits out of hats while you're gone. The same spirit you have, 
I will have. The things that you do, I will do. Do you know what a freedom that was for me? To be able to know that I was able to walk down to Pigeon Ford, not walk, but go down on vacation and know that there was somebody who had my back who would preach the same thing, who would operate the same way, not pull rabbits out of hats and try to do some big crazy backhanded handsprings all across the sanctuary. You see what I'm saying? Whatever's in you is coming out of you. Can you be trusted to handle someone else's ministry? Can you be trusted to handle someone else's business affairs? Can you be trusted to do it even when you don't get the credit for it? And I promise you in the servant stage, you will wrestle with the hurdle of insignificance. But the lesson you will learn is you will learn how to serve authority. And you will stay under apostolic authority. You see, we live in a time now where people just do whatever they want. But when you understand the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, you understand how the kingdom works. And there is protocol in the kingdom of God. I'm not at liberty to just do what I want. Any decisions that Beverly and I have ever made, in ministry especially, and even in our jobs, we have brought those things and laid them at the feet of our leader. Not that God don't speak to us. We know he speaks to us. But we brought them to our leader because we had submitted ourselves and we understand the blessing of oil that runs off their head onto our shoulders. And we want that oil to never be obstructed. We don't ever want to put ourselves sideways with our leader. We stay right up under, even when we didn't understand their words and even when we didn't understand their actions and we felt like they were being cold towards us. They weren't being cold to us. They were trying to get us to stay stand in faith and, and not be offended so easily and let's position ourselves so the oil would come and sometimes depending on who it was someone would say something sweet and I'd be like I like them and someone else would say something sour and I'd say I don't know if I like them but I needed both I needed all of that because God was preparing me God was positioning me I had to learn that it wasn't about me I had to learn to serve up under someone else and when I got up under someone else I found freedom that I didn't even know could be there God will exalt you if you will humble yourself but pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall you guarantee watch, just watch this when people begin to change their appearance and they change their demeanor and they change their posture Something is going on in them. And what it is is that God has them in the servant stage. But they don't know how to handle insignificance because sometimes you have people who've never been fathered or they've been fathered with abuse. And they don't know how to receive affirmation. And if you've never been affirmed by a father you will seek to affirm yourself by the works and the things you do. That if I'm good enough, they'll like me. If I perform good enough, they'll like me. And this is the fatherless curse that is upon the nation today. But when you realize who your heavenly father is, he affirms me. And then he puts people in my life, prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers, all of whom I'm submitted to. I don't always understand all of them because I'll tell you what, those people are something else. But they always guide me in the right way. And I'm able to handle my areas of insignificance. I'll remember when I was serving with Pastor Hill's youth pastor and there was this other family in the church and we were the first youth pastors to get paid to be the youth pastor at the church. We got $25 a month. We was rolling in that cash. Our change was so strange. We had $25 and these people got jealous. They got jealous of us getting paid. Oh, you're getting paid now, huh? Oh, y'all really think you're something, aren't you? I'm like, I'm just doing what I was asked to do. And these people started coming against us. 
And I've been raised in ministry. Beverly had been raised in ministry, but we're very, we don't like conflict like that. Just want to be where God wants us to be. Even if it's uncomfortable, we'll stay if we know that's where God wants us to be. So I came to pastor and I said, pastor, I'm done. I, I don't have to put up with this. Mm -mm. I don't deserve this. If these people want this ministry, they're going to have it. Bless God, let them have it. Enjoy. That's how I felt. I had my letter of resignation all signed. Pastor called me into a meeting with this guy who and him and his wife were doing all kinds of crazy stuff behind us. We were just, we were so hurt. We're just trying to do the will of God. <laughs> Pastor looked at me and he said, Russell, if you run from this, it'll follow you to the next church. If you let these people run you, man, I didn't want to hear that. Because I'd already made up my mind. I was ready to say, see my fingers, see my thumb, see my fish, you better run. I was ready to fight, and I ain't, I ain't never really been in a fight, but I was ready to fight in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I, I humbled myself at that moment because I was making it more about me than about the destiny of my life. God was processing me, and I had to learn to get over the hurdle of insignificance and I had to learn how to serve authority. And I yielded to my pastor's words. And when I told this brother in that meeting that I, you know, was going to quit, he just started blubbering and crying and asking me, I'm sorry, I should have said that. And I knew that God had stepped into that situation and helped me in that moment. But I had to learn how to serve authority. And until you do, you will keep running from place to place doing your thing till you will master the servant stage. David was called to play music even when they threw javelins at him. He served the person that was trying to kill him. That's another message. Here, let me move to the third one. That's the champion stage. I'm trying to hurry. The champion stage. Most of this is found in chapter 17. I won't read it all because we have already kind of paraphrased most of this particular passage of where David comes down and challenges Goliath and receives the call to put on the armor of Saul. And Saul, he then takes it off and says, I can't wear it because I've not proved it. And then Eliab, the oldest brother, gets jealous of David, who is supposed to be out with the sheep. And he said, I know you're naughty, you and your naughty self. You've come down here to spy out the battle. And David looks back at him and said, what have I done now? Isn't there a cause? I didn't come here to fight. I came here with some cheese, y'all. Came with some groceries. I got the bushel in the bag here. And Eliab gives him a rough time, rubs a knot on his head. And David is standing there in this place where he is now being tested on how he will respond to Goliath because he's been given the blessing and the permission and the hurdle that David had to overcome in the champion stage is the hurdle called insecurity. And I want you to catch this because there will always be those that will tell you why you can't. But when they tell you why you can't, you press on and trust God. You trust God and press on. And the lesson that you learn in the champion stage is you learn to have a covenant faith with God. That if God said his word would come to pass in my life, then Carol, I'm standing until it comes to pass in my life. But you will have to deal with your own insecurities in the champion stage. Because it's going to be at that time that you're going to be forced to step up. I remember in the champion stage in my life, it was that part with me was being willing to take a bullet from my leader. And not a real bullet. I hope I don't have to do that. But I'm saying, when someone would stand in the hallway and try to bump their gums and talk about my pastor, 
I would say, oh, hold up, hold up. I forgot to tell you everything you just said. I'm going to tell my pastor. Now, what was it you wanted to say? Because I learned how to take it. I was secure enough to not have to be their best friend. See, and when I was serving as a youth pastor, I didn't draw people to me. I draw people to my spiritual leader. I said, oh, I want to introduce you to. I didn't try to friend up like Absalom and kiss everybody and call everybody baby sweetie, sweetie, sweetie pie, sweet potato pie, whatever. I didn't have to do all that. I pointed them to my leader because I was secure enough that I had been entrusted and I had to overcome my insecurities. And if we're insecure, come on, this goes right back to some other things I said, that insecurity will crop up and we want so desperately to be given a nickname and so desperately for someone to call us pastor and so desperate for somebody to call us this or that, that we're insecure. And in this champion stage, you learn how to trust God with covenant faith. David said, I'm taking off what I've not proved. I'm going to use what I know. This is where I say good teaching will keep you. When you want to quit, you want to throw in the towel, good teaching will keep you to say, God promised me, and I'm going to walk in faith. And he became the champion. David did. Story would tell us that he would cut the head of Goliath off and keep it in a bag, and they would store the head of Goliath. And then they would also memorialize the sword that was used to take his head off. And there would come a day in the future that that would become momentum faith to help them in another battle. What you do today will help your children tomorrow. The final stage before I close is the, the king stage. David has been through the shepherd stage, the servant stage, and the champion stage, and we've celebrated with him all the way through. We've rejoiced and say, when other people see a shepherd's heart, God may see a king. And we've like, oh, just can't wait till David gets to the throne. After all, Samuel had poured that whole bottle of oil on him. He smelled like a king. But it was many years that would pass till he would reach the king, the kingdom. And in the king stage, the Bible teaches us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1 that it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now here's what I want you to understand. He has, he has mastered the shepherd stage. He has mastered the servant stage. He has mastered the champion stage. He's walking tall in cotton. He's living his best life in his assignment. But he gets comfortable in his kingship. He forgets the things he had to hurdle over. And now he's just doing whatever he wants to do. There are times, if you're not careful, you will reach a point where you forget where you came from. And you're no longer moved to tears. You're no longer early. You're no longer seeking God and praising him in truth. In the king stage, the hurdle that he had to overcome was the hurdle of indifference. This is where Paul would say to us in Galatians, be not weary in well-doing. Don't just be doing and doing and then you become weary with it. He got to a place where he became indifferent. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and ask you if you've ever become indifferent with God or if you've ever been indifferent going to church. When you've ever reached to a point where you say, I just don't want to do it. I don't have my heart's not anymore. That's indifference. And when the spirit of indifference comes, you can become weary even when you're trying to do the right thing. And the lesson that David had to learn was to stay diligent with his walk with God. Because if you follow the story of David's life, he did not go out to battle when he should have gone with his men. And it was in his weak moment 
when he got weary that he went and saw Bathsheba bathing on the top of the roof and desired to have her and went and have and was with her intimately and then had a child out of wedlock with her and then because he knew it was going to come to find out he brought her husband home from the front line of the battle and wanted him to go in with his wife and he would not he slept on the porch because his brothers were out fighting the war and David was so angered because he couldn't cover his sin that he sent Uriah out to the front of the battle where he was lost his life David was trying to cover his tracks. He was an indifferent leader. He got to a place where he was indifferent. I don't want, ain't nobody going to tell me I, I don't have to do this anymore. I, I can do what I want to do. And the Bible said he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be in battle leading the way, but he stayed behind and got caught up in a bunch of sin. You have to be understanding of David. He was a man after God's own heart. He commits murder of Uriah, he commits adultery and he sleeps with another man's wife and he has a baby out of wedlock and he tried to cover it all up until a prophet walked into his chamber and pointed his finger and said, thou art the man. And conviction came upon David again because he was at a place where God could speak to him. In closing, it's worth noting that irrelevance, insignificance, or insecurity, none of those things was really David's downfall. He learned how to hurdle those. His downfall came once he arrived. His downfall came when he got to the kingship. He lost interest in serving people I'm trying to get you somewhere T3 leader he lost interest in serving people and loving people and even depending on God anymore and that became his downfall I would ask you where are you where are you in the process are you living in obscurity just loving God and are you loving his people are you serving someone else while hardly anyone notices all the work you do? Are you battling your own insecurity in the face of a giant you know you have to defeat? Nor are you surrendering to burnout and laziness or overload? God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed his mind about your future. He invites you to walk it out and remain a servant. I know this is not always easy to talk like this, but it's important that we get this. To be a T3 leader who doesn't forget the cheese, I have to pass four stages like David. The shepherd stage. When I'm out there, nobody sees me. When I'm learning to love, and I'm learning to serve. And then I have to overcome that stage. I have to move to the next stage, which is the servant stage, and I have to serve someone else's dream. God, you know, I've got big dreams. I've been prophesied over by 20 people. I got it on cassette tape. <laughs> I had oil poured on me. Somebody called me out. And those are moments that you won't forget. But none of that's coming to pass till you walk through the stage. <laughs> and it's often in another stage that it then comes to pass. The shepherd stage, the servant stage. Amen. He had to look, then come to the champion stage where he had to fight his biggest battle. I was listening to an interview today of Matthew Crouch on TBN. I don't watch TBN a lot. I don't watch Daystar a lot. I'm selective on what I watch because some of it's just, I, I just, I don't know. And I don't want to be critical because God can use anybody. But some stuff I just turn the channel. But I was watching Matthew Crouch talk to these guys who were starting a publishing company. And Matthew began to testify about his dad, Paul Crouch. I don't know any of the Crouches except for Mark and Ginger who live down in Greenwood. But I don't know any of the Crouch family. Paul Crouch and Jan Crouch have already gone home to be with the Lord. But 
Matthew was talking about his daddy when they started the TV station. And he talked about how many hurts that his dad went through. How many times he was betrayed. How many times he was wounded in the battle. All for trying to start a, a, a television station that would end up becoming worldwide to pr pr produce the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he just... I had never heard this testimony, but he began to talk about how many times his dad was hurt. And I began to think about my daddy in the ministry who pastored a church and how he went through hurt. And as a PK, I would watch my parents hurt and that hurt me. <laughs> and then we would step into full-time ministry and we would go through hurt. We went through a great season in our life where we, everything was just tiptoeing through the tulips for many years, had longevity of staff and all kinds of stuff. And then had our biggest wound that we had ever, never saw coming. It wasn't in the cards. It wasn't in my five-year plan. At that moment, I thought I was going to die. It was lied about. Those people didn't have the courtesy or the courage to look me in the eye and talk to me face to face. Not one of them. God don't like ugly. And if you cause a mess for someone else... Rest assured, you're going to reap a whirlwind of a mess in your own life. It may not happen overnight, but it's a principle. What you sow, you will reap. I don't wish bad on nobody. At that time, I was angry. I'm not a cusser, but I felt like cussing. Come on. If you've got a Holy Ghost in you enough, you can't even cuss right. I got no amens, a lot of laughs. I mean, I was done. I remember saying to the Lord, one night we had a meeting and I had a meeting with our team and I said, I'm, I told the Lord, I will never be a spiritual father again. I will not do it. I'm done. I'm not giving my life to anyone else. I'll just pass for this church and preach, but I will not become invested and pour myself into people. I'm done. This should not be. I don't understand these things. And you're expected to be professional. <laughs> I remember I left the church that night, and I'm just being real transparent with you. I got into my truck, and I was driving to Applebee's. We were supposed to have dinner. I didn't even want to eat. I didn't even want to be around nobody. But my wife said, you need to come. You need to come. So I went. And we went. And as I was driving in the car or my truck, this guy who hadn't been coming to our church very long called me. And I saw the number and I hesitated, should I pick this up? I'm not in a mood to talk to nobody. I need minister to myself. The young man and he said, Pastor, thanks for taking my call. I said, yes, sir, what could I do for you? He said, I was praying. And he said, I think the Lord told me that you're supposed to be a spiritual father in my life. Does, will you be that for me? I had just got moments before that. I was talking to God. I was yelling at God in the front seat. I was telling him, I'm done. I'm done. And this is how God will push you past your hurdle and your hurt. And I said, yes, sir, I will. I told God no. You don't tell God. <laughs> you don't tell God what to do. He will pick you up and tell you who you think you're talking to. I'm the God that brought you out. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. <sighs> it, was, it was a moment. And I'd like to tell you that it got better. <laughs> There were certain stages God was trying to take us through. I remember standing right here. I was so hurt and so wounded. And I was just overcome. I went through all these, I think I was having a breakdown. I don't know what I was having. Come on, can I be honest with you? And Ron Post, who's sitting right here, a big crowd of people gathered around me. He laid his hands on me and he hugged me. He hugged all of that out of me that night. 
I felt a load release off of me. You're going to go through seasons where you're going to quit, want to quit, and you want to throw in the towel, but you've got to go through the stages and climb every hurdle. And if you fall, get back up and keep going. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has a purpose and a plan, but he wants to bring us into a place of T3 to serve. Are you willing to serve God with your time, your talent, and your treasure? If your answer is yes, your stages have begun. Would you stand to your feet? With your heart towards heaven. With your heart towards heaven. God said David was a man after his own heart. He made mistakes, but he was a king anointed of the Lord. And God would take Bethel Family Worship Center in different stages telling you don't ever become too big for your britches don't ever get too big headed where you start telling God what you're going to do And listen to this day I call Pastor Hill and say Pastor I need, to, I, need you, I need some counsel I got decisions to make it's not that God doesn't speak to me but I understand how he uses the apostolic movement of kingdom as a son and a father for me to flow into my assignment I need an Elijah I need a Moses hmm. I need an Abraham I need a Paul <laughs> when you begin to acquire these areas if you're one, you're three, you're twelve, you're seventy and your multitude, then you learn how to flow in the kingdom. Oh, God, search us tonight. Help us to know how to operate and how to move and how to be servant-minded. I'm going to ask you tonight with your head bowed for a moment, wherever you are, listen to me. God is speaking to you about your role of service. Don't become, don't get to the king stage and become too big headed. Don't get there and become weary in your well-doing. Don't get here into that place and have to having to overcome all them hurdles in your life and now get here and miss it. Stay as a, in a role of a servant. Some of you have been serving a long time and you said, Pastor, does it always... Listen, I am all, I'm still serving. You never graduate from the place of serving. You just learn how to hurdle through your own issues. Because until Jesus comes, you will trade the title and you will wear the towel. And it's the towel that'll bring the greatest anointing in your life. It's the towel of serving. How can I serve? How can I serve? If you're tired tonight and you've been serving, I want you to know God's wanting to open heaven over your heart right now and pour oil in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. If you're here tonight and, you, and you're gifted, if you're watching and you're a gifted person, you've got talents and all those things, God says these things belong to Him. You don't get to decide when you're going to quit. You don't get to decide what you're going to do. You are on the potter's wheel. And the master potter is working his will in your life. I know we've not been praying a lot around these altars, but I just feel that we should. Those that need it to, those that want to, those that just, I just want to get in that altar and just pray. Come on. Just just, just find you a place spread out as you're able and, or maybe in your seat, but whatever. Take a moment. Take a moment. Empty me, God, that I might be filled again. I lay myself on the altar tonight. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever has been a hardship, Whatever the issue has been, 
hard thing that's been coming against your mind. You can't even sleep. It just keeps cropping up. Let me tell you, people are not your enemy. The enemy is working against you. But God is with you tonight. Oh, I feel his presence here. He's so strong tonight. His anointing and his love. Would you just begin to pray and begin to talk to God tonight? All around this building, just let the Holy Ghost speak. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 